Welcome to Lake Higgins Live. It is Sunday night, October 24th, year of our Lord, 2021, jam-packed high atop downtown and crowded, might I add, downtown Nashville, Tennessee. That tightens traffic in our building. Not exactly the best of friends. But we're here, Director Colin and I, as well as our entire crew down in Fort Lauderdale. Got a great show for you tonight, jam-packed. As always, Penn State. Why? How dare, what gives you the right, is my first question to Penn State. Uh, what do you think you're doing is my question to Oklahoma. Several questions that I have to ask very reputable programs tonight. I don't necessarily know we're going to have an answer from them by the end of the show, but we will ask the pressing questions nonetheless. Bama rolled yesterday. Ohio State rolled yesterday. Probably the single worst feel, just gut feel, that I've had on a game was that Ohio State game. So I'm here to slap myself on the wrist. We have got so many different roads to go down. It was, as usual, one of those Saturdays that the casuals out there tried to tell you was sleepy. And the next Saturday that they call sleepy, that actually ends up being sleepy, will be the first sleepy Saturday ever. It never goes down that way. I was at Alabama, Tennessee yesterday, and I was outside the stadium as that Penn State game was going down. And I was in a, one of the garages we park in, and there was you know, from sea to shining sea, a bunch of academy tents, but a bunch of televisions watching that game under those academy tents. And I was watching people completely emotionally spend themselves right there on the quad, right there on the walk of champions for a game that unless they had money on it, they had no interest vested in. They had no emotion vested in. But yet that's college football, is it not? That's why we're here together to do this show three nights a week. Uh, Manny Diaz, what's gonna happen to him at Miami? They won yesterday. But is it still inevitable? I mean, if you guys haven't been following that, they're kind of off the radar right now because they've had a poor season, so maybe you're not. There are some wheels in motion, apparently so, at least at Miami. I'm going to discuss that tonight. So we've got a whole lot to get to, but we don't have to go up against a National League Championship Series game tonight, do we? And that's because, as I stood right there on the side of an empty Bryant-Denny Stadium last night, I got to watch the Atlanta Braves win the pennant and head to the World Series for the first time since little JP was a middle school student. So it's been a big time around here. And now we get to lean back. We don't have to worry about glancing off to the side laptop and see what the score is. I was in Nick Saban's press conference last night, had the World Series on. Some of you saw that video on Twitter and Instagram. It is not distraction. It is multitasking, because I still remember everything he said. I also know, though, that Tyler Matzik had himself a heck of an eighth inning while I was watching that. So we were in Tuscaloosa yesterday, sure enough, and I'll tell you a lot of stories about that on the Tuesday Late Kick Extra podcast. I do have a couple. But that's not what you're here tonight for. What you're here tonight to find out is what we reveal every beginning of the Sunday night show, except for last week when things went off the rails a little bit, and that was my fault. We got a big week on deck, don't we? We're going to be predicting games Tuesday night, but we got to let you know where the Late Kick Renaissance Tour is taking us this Saturday. The Week 9 slate is loaded, and we've got Georgia, Florida, of course, in Jacksonville. I always go to that game. We've got Ole Miss rolling into Auburn. We're going to have a bet on that game by the end of this very show tonight. We've also got Penn State, Ohio State. We've got undefeated Michigan, undefeated Michigan State. Where would you go? Let me tell you where we're taking the Renaissance Tour. It's a place I've never been. It's a place I have been looking for a reason to go for quite a while. We are taking the Late Kick Renaissance Tour to none other than East Lansing, Michigan, this Saturday. Undefeated Michigan at undefeated Michigan State. Line opened really in the futures. It was around six, but it's down to three and a half right now. It's Mel Tucker. 
it's Jim Harbaugh, it's rivalry, it's in-state, it's brand on brand, it's great. That's what it is. So for the first time ever, we, myself, the show, everything associated with this thing, we're going to be at Michigan State. Looking forward to that. But before we get to week nine, we've got to revisit week eight. So take your shoe off, peel the sock down, let's dip the toe right back in the water of what we all experienced just 24 hours ago. Man, Oklahoma. So how about this? I'm on the road and I park and I see a goose egg and I say, oh, Kansas got shut out. Well, bless their hearts. At, correction. No, it wasn't Kansas. Oklahoma. They're the ones with a zero on the board at hive time. So I, I did the whole groggy eyed, clear my eyes thing. And there it is. And you know what it felt like to me, even though Oklahoma went on to win this thing, what, 35 to 23, it felt like for a little while being back in the old days. You know how when you listen to stories, whether they be at work or at home or at the park, listening to some rando talk to you, everything was looser in the old days. There were fewer rules and regulations and restrictions. And when people tell you about the old days, normally it has to do with things you could get away with then that you could never get away with now. They could do it back then. They could never do that now. Kansas was in the good old days yesterday. I want to show you something. If you were not paying attention to this game yesterday, there were dozens and dozens of witnesses to the first half of this football game, but there were thousands and thousands of witnesses to the second half. Why is that? Because in true old days fashion, the folks at Kansas said, screw it, open the gates. Look at this tweet. This is not from a random person. This is not from the wife of the head coach. This was the Kansas Jayhawks athletic department saying the gates are open on the east and west side of the stadium. No ticket required. Show up. Be loud. Rock chalk. That is true olden days energy. That's not the kind of thing you see. That's the kind of story you get told about the vintage Oklahoma at Kansas game of 1981. And we all remember how that one turned out. So first off, before we talk about the final and how things went horribly off the rails once the crowd started to pour in, hats off to Kansas for making this move. Now, as the crowd showed up, the second half, unfortunately for the locals there, had to happen. In the first half, Oklahoma barely had the ball. It's one of the things about this game. If you don't have the ball a whole lot, I, it's hard to score, as it turns out. Three possessions in the first half. That's all Oklahoma had. They had the ball three times. Five plays, punt. Three plays, pick. Nine plays, turnover on downs. And that is good for carry the three, move the nine there, zero points in the first half. That was the good news for Kansas. And then all the locals start huddling inside the stadium, some of whom had never been in there before in their life. The problem is, friends, the second half then transpired. Allow me to read for you. You might want to earmuff the kids. The second half drive chart for Oklahoma. This is pure violence. 14 plays touchdown. Three plays touchdown. Four plays touchdown. Four plays touchdown. 12 plays touchdown. End of game. 35-23, Oklahoma wins. It felt like, to me at least, a delayed Red River shootout letdown. Because last week, remember, they played TCU, I think it was, and I felt really good about the fact that Oklahoma would have no letdown off the Texas game, and we were right. Uh, they won, they covered, they, I think they hung like half a hundred on TCU. This is a letdown. Like this, I guess they delayed it a week. Lincoln Riley said, you want to play like garbage for a half? Don't do it against TCU. Wait, who do we have next week? Kansas? Okay, guys, we play Kansas next week. Go do it against Kansas. Go, go lay all your eggs against Kansas. Well, they did. 
and they still got out of there with a win. I tweeted something during this game. Unfortunately, as is normally the case with humor in the year of our Lord 2021, I had to caveat it. As you know, if you were watching this game, there was a point in time, it was a pivotal point in the game, where I want to say it was Kennedy Brooks. It was an Oklahoma ball carrier who was stuffed in the backfield. And so uh, Caleb Williams, being all of like 14 years old, Caleb Williams just grabs the ball out of his own running back's hands and then falls forward for a first down, extend the drive, they end up scoring, they end up winning. I tweet out, Caleb Williams' Heisman moment ended up going for about two yards. Ha, ha, ha. I didn't say ha, ha, ha in the end. I guess I should have. So some of you took that seriously. Like I'm seriously caring about the Heisman Trophy to begin with. If you know me, you know better. If you don't know me and don't know better, you're probably not watching the show. But thirdly, for those of you who do know me and did not know better, why didn't you know better? I don't care about that, first off. And secondly, I know that grabbing a football out of someone's hands and falling forward two yards is not a Heisman moment. I know that. So we can put that to rest. I was not serious. I hear some others of you out there were serious thinking that was a Heisman moment. Um, spoiler alert, it wasn't. And second spoiler alert, Caleb Williams won't win the Heisman, nor should he. That doesn't mean he can't have a phenomenal back half of the season. But if that award means what it's supposed to mean, then no, you can't be, you can't be coming in midway through the season and saying, I'm here, invite me. It takes a little bit more than that. So I was joking about that. But here's what I'm serious about. If you look at their secondary, Oklahoma secondary, I think the number out of the five that they regularly have on the field, I think they got one guy that is still in the same spot that he was to begin the season. And if you add quarterback, those are six spots, six very important spots, entire secondary and quarterback. There's only one guy that's in the same spot he was when they broke fall camp. Now you could argue at quarterback, maybe it's an upgrade, but it still means green. It still means inexperience. And because you've got that, you are vulnerable even in these sorts of situations. Lincoln Riley, if you listen to him in the post game, you can tell his main two concerns as far as I can see is number one, just not having starters, not being healthy and you know, that's an obvious path to fix if you can fix it. But the second thing is they lack an edge. Too many times you watch Oklahoma and they've got the players, they've got the reputation, at least born through past history, kind of redundant, but you get what I'm saying. But this particular Oklahoma, have they seemed to you like they have that edge where they're ready to grab a game by the throat? And I don't mean the Kansases of the world. I mean down the stretch when they end up playing bigger name competition. They did it against Texas. That's what I'm saying. We've seen them do it, but do they do it consistently? And why do they have to wait till the second half to do it? Why don't they come out of the gates like that? That edge, not having it, that's the same thing that cost them a couple of years ago against Alabama. They're down 28 zip. Then they decide to play. Well, it's a little bit too late at that point because they're not all Kansas. Some of them are going to be Bama. Some of them are going to be Georgia or Ohio State or, or even Iowa State when they play them in a few weeks. They've still got competition left that makes me wonder, by the way, why are we assuming Oklahoma's going undefeated? Why do you assume that? Is it because you had them there in the preseason and you don't want to back off of it? Is it because of that OU brand and just they've got the reputation built up? Uh, that team, if I'm looking at the schedule here, here's how they're going to end the season. They've got Texas Tech this week. They've got at Baylor. They've got Iowa State, and then they've got at Oklahoma State. They, two things are true here, should be 4-0 against that. And they can also lose every one of them. Those are all losable games, even Texas Tech. That is a losable game. Because if you trail and blank is your score, by the way, at halftime against Kansas, 
you're always going to be vulnerable. So I don't know why we're just assuming they're going undefeated. Uh, but I think that is, that's by and large the status quo out there. People just assume they're going to go undefeated. I mean, I guess if I had to pick one way or the other, I would pick them maybe to win all these games individually. Collectively, I don't think they're winning all those games. I think there's a loss on there somewhere. Now, it may not matter because they still regroup and win the Big 12 championship. They'll be in all likelihood in the playoff. But that's a, it's a bold assumption right now, given what I've seen from Oklahoma. Or so yesterday I mentioned I was at Academy. Well, I was, I was in Tuscaloosa. A lot of you were at Academy. And I got a lot of people who now it's kind of a show and tell thing. As I walk through the tailgate areas, I talk with a lot of you. I mean, I probably, I probably shook 100 hands yesterday combined in and outside of Bryant-Denny Stadium. So that's all fun. But it used to just be, hey, I listen to the show a lot. Hey, here's, here's one of my favorite things you've ever done on the show. Now it's, hey, hold on a second. Let me dig in my pocket. Check out this receipt from Academy. Check out this little buggy I bought from Academy. Our camera guy, Ronald Gage, yesterday had a little buggy from Academy. And I don't even think he did that because he watches the show. But Academy Sports and Outdoors has been well represented, suffice it to say, at every tailgate that I've been to so far this year. And now that the seasons are turning, you got reason to go back. I know you like buying that stuff anyway. You got reason to go back. And here's the other reason. Academy is really good to us. I mean, really, capital R, really good to us. Academy Sports and Outdoors, it is your true one-stop shop for all your tailgating needs. If you have maybe an undef... Well, what would we call it? An unrefined, fashionable palette like myself, you can find all your clothing needs there too. Some of us don't need as much as the rest of you. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, and that'll never change. Even when they start paying us billions of dollars around here, that would never change. But Academy Sports and Outdoors is your one-stop shop for that. And, and this is what I've really been told a whole lot, if you can't get to the in-store, just do it online. Academy.com, a lot of you have started to do that. Had one of you overseas, Australia, I want to say it was, that was sending me a receipt the other day from Academy Sports and Outdoors. So yes, I mean, I said they shipped to all 50 states, but yes, they do ship internationally as well. Academy Sports and Outdoors is the official outdoor sporting goods supplier of the Big 12, of the SEC, and of Late Kick. And when you purchase things from them, you do the show a huge favor, which means you're doing me a huge favor, which means I can do you the favor of keeping the show free of charge. So you see, circle of life, friends helping friends. Let's move on. Um, hmm, well, how do I want to broach this? Let's just rip the Band-Aid off. Tennessee has not beaten Nick Saban since he's been at Alabama. Louisiana Monroe has. South Carolina has. Poor Tennessee is not. Nick Saban made it 15 in a row against Tennessee last night. I was on hand for this. The game felt weird. A majority of the time, it felt weird. Some of you watched this. It was the primetime game on ESPN last night. The box score just screams domination. And the final score, 52 to 24, it screams domination. But the game was close. And it, it's like the, the two pieces of bread, but if you open it up, there, there's a lot of closeness in the middle of the blowout bookends that I just mentioned there. Tennessee generated some huge plays off of busted coverages, off of mistakes. That's the sport of football. That's how you're supposed to do it. And so credit to them. But it was 21 to 14 at halftime of this game. It was 24 to 17 early in the fourth quarter. And then Bama eventually broke the dam because they got better players and they got more good players. So they had, uh, I think, 28 unanswered late to make it a blowout game. 52 to 24 is the final. Padlock stat, though. There are some areas of concern with Bama, but I'll give you one that's a really good thing that they've been doing. 
The padlock stat here, same one we had after Mississippi State, as a matter of fact. If Alabama goes 12 of 16 on third down against you, that's it. That's all. If they go 12 of 16 on third down against Georgia, Georgia won't beat them. If they do it against Ohio State, Ohio State won't beat them. Now, it's going to be a lot harder to do that against those teams, but that's padlock stat number one. But there's a little side branch off of that padlock stat because that was the same one from the Mississippi State game. And this, I'm told in the industry, equates to a little trend that Alabama's got going on. Do you know they are 27 of 36 on third down the last two weeks? They were 12 of 16 last night. They were 15 of 20 last week. No, they were 15 of 20 last night. They were 12 of 16 in some shape, form, or fashion. That's right, over the last two weeks. So they've been really good on third down. In this game specifically, given what we saw Tennessee go through last week, here's the other padlock stat. The padlock stat, of course, means if you knew this on Friday, you would know the result of the game without me having to tell you. Bama ran 91 offensive plays. Now, you may think to yourself, okay, that's happened before. That doesn't automatically mean you're going to win. Well, when I know that Tennessee's defense was also on the field 101 plays the week before this, and then you're going to run 91 on them, and I know that by the time the dust settles in this game, they've been on the field 192 plays over the past eight days on the calendar, it spells disaster. So Tennessee had some things go right for them last night. Tennessee fought. Uh, they came in with a plan to do some damage against Alabama. They did some damage against Alabama. There were things to walk away feeling good about. They don't have the team to match Alabama for four quarters. But Bryce Young, I'll tell you, the Alabama quarterback there, is playing probably at a level a little bit higher than people realize he is. Now, I know he's highly thought of. But Alabama does not have a bunch of star receivers right now. They've got issues on the offensive line. They've got some good tailbacks. They don't have any superstar tailbacks. They've got a star quarterback. He's a first-year starter. Not a true freshman, but a first-year starter. He was 31 of 43 last night, 371 through the air, had a couple of touchdowns in the air, a couple of more on the ground, ran for 42 yards, and he's not surrounded by what Mac Jones was surrounded by. And there were some times last night where I'm not going to tell you that he's just carrying the entire offense on his shoulders. When I say they lack superstars, I mean relative to Alabama. If I took Jamison Williams and put him on most rosters, he'd be an All-American and then build a statue of him. I mean, they'd remember him for the next decade. Uh, Brian Robinson, Roydell Williams, those are very good players. I'm saying they aren't Devontae Smith, they aren't Najee Harris. And those are guys that were around last year that aren't around this year. And yet a first-year quarterback is getting it done. And he's made some mistakes, but he hasn't been mistake-prone. He, he made a throw in the end zone last night that could have been picked. It was right in front of me, but it wasn't. It was against AM. It wasn't last night. But now they got a bye week. And now it gets really interesting. Now we ask, or we get to ask at least for, for a couple of weeks, when they self-scouted Alabama, what's it going to turn up? What do they focus on? What do they think is fixable versus what is something they're just going to have to roll with the rest of the year? And the right side of their offensive line I think is interesting. Obviously, developing more dependable depth at wide receiver is interesting. I don't know, based on Nick Saban's answer in the postgame last night, if Ajay Hall is going to be part of that equation. He got asked, Nick Saban got asked, hey, what is Ajay Hall's status with the team? And Nick Saban said, none of your business. But then he also said a couple of times, when guys do what they're supposed to athletically and academically, let me stress the second one there, they'll be on the field. I hope he hasn't been unclear, nor have I been unclear. I'll just tell you, Ajay Hall doesn't lack anything athletically. 
So that other A word, the old academics, it could be biting them on the ankle right now. But as I said, this is 15 in a row, and you might wonder, why do you go to a game that you think is going to be a blowout? Well, number one, I told you there was a little scheduling conflict this week. We don't have a scheduling conflict this coming week. That's why we can go to Michigan. But number two, there is a tradition in this rivalry game that a lot of you have forgotten about because it doesn't look like a rivalry right now. Director Colin walked in tonight and said, is this a rivalry? It's got a cute name, third Saturday in October, but is it a rivalry? And I said, well, I didn't say anything because I didn't have a response to it. Because, yeah, you do need to win once every decade or so for it to really be a rivalry. But there is a tradition in this game, winning teams smoke cigars. And because Bama blows Tennessee out on the regular these days, when you're at the game at Bryant-Denny Stadium, they don't wait until the end of the fourth quarter to start lighting up. And I was talking to someone in a position of authority yesterday, and I asked about the smoking ban on campus. And he said, I don't know what to tell you. We got one 364 days a year here. And then he just walked away. And there, um, there, there was not much enforcement of it last night. I shot some video actually from field level. It's a very interesting vantage point when you're on field because a, a lot of these stadiums have elevated seating to where like you can really see the smoke waft. It looks like the student section's on fire actually. This looks like a giant fire extinguisher should be taken to the student section. And then, this is what I told you last week on podcast, that haze, even with a breeze in that place last night, there's just a cloud over the entire field by the time Bama-Tennessee games end. Now this should serve as supreme motivation for Josh Heupel and the folks there. Uh, but it's also, for older Alabama fans, it never loses its sweetness. And that's what stands out to me when I go to Bama-Tennessee games. If you're 19 years old, like those students right there, yeah, you're smoking your cigars, half of you are choking to death, but you don't really get it. You know it's a tradition, you know you're supposed to do it, and you do it. Nick Saban actually walked over there and applauded in front of the student section last night. So he approves of the no smoking ban for at least one day. But the older folks, I wish you could see it. When you walk around, when I'm walking around there after the game and you're looking at a 57-year-old guy, they've lived through Tennessee domination. They've lived through, oh, let's say, former head coaches at Tennessee trying to put you out of business entirely. They've lived through all that. This is a bitter rivalry. There is supreme hatred in this that you just don't get if you're new to the table. But they do. And so if you could see the looks on these people's faces when they have those cigars in their mouth, it's very glazed over. It's kind of off in the distance. And I like to picture all of them just looking at a giant pinata with Phil Fulmer's face on the pinata. And with every puff, they're taking a broomstick to that pinata. And boy, they've done a lot of beating lately. Tennessee goes down again at the hands of Alabama, 52 to 24. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's move on to sadder times. I mean, that was sad enough if you were a Tennessee fan, but oh my goodness. Um, let me collect my thoughts. Let me rub the sleep out of my eyes. So Illinois beat Penn State yesterday in what was a multi-part travesty of a football game. 20 to 18 is the final. Now I want to congratulate Illinois, but I'm going to make this about Penn State at the expense of our Illinois brethren, and you can send the hate mail to me later. 
This was every bit as stunning to me as the Florida LSU outcome last week. I mean, stunned. The line on this game was 23 and a half. If anything, I thought Penn State would cover, especially if you told me Clifford was starting. They are coming out of a bye week. Before that, they had played Iowa. And to the point where Sean Clifford, the starting quarterback at Penn State, went down, they looked good offensively. They had done some good things against a very salty defense in Iowa. I say all that to say I felt really good about where Penn State was. And they did too. I think they're just as stunned as the rest of us. So I said multi-part travesty here. Let's talk about the football game and the specific team in a second. Number one, you can take this new overtime format, and you can wad it up, and you can throw it right in the trash. And if any of you out there were under the impression that because you were entertained by them going like 13 innings in a football game, that it somehow equates to good football, then after you throw the offense and then you throw the overtime as well in the trash, then you need to sit by the trash for a little while. That's not the way a college football game is supposed to end. This is what happens when you let people who never played sports make rules for sports. Nobody watched that yesterday with any common sense about themselves and said, yeah, this feels right. Absolutely, this is the way we should decide a football game. And just like with the targeting, we skipped nine logical steps that should have been taken before we got to that point. No one stepped up and said, hey, before we radically alter overtime, why don't we just mm, take field goals out of overtime? You have to score touchdowns. Why don't we make you go for two after every touchdown instead of waiting for the third overtime? Why don't we do those things first before we decide to go like soccer penalty kick style? Director Collins said, why don't we just have a punting contest? Why don't we just see who can cough and corner things the best? Why don't we just decide it that way? I think it's as good as idea as we saw yesterday. That's horrible. That's terrible. So judging by the hastiness with which we've addressed the horrible targeting rules in this sport, we should address this in the next decade or so. I think we're on track to do that. Travesty number two is obvious. This was an utter crowbar to the shins of the Penn State football team for this year, but in a lot of ways the program. And I just made the comparison to the LSU defeat of Florida last week. And the more I think about it, actually, as I'm sitting here, the more there is some irony that that game popped in my mind. And this is kind of the uh, alarming part, if you will, for Penn State. I think we're starting to see some parallels between the Penn State program and the Florida program. Now, these are good programs. These are not bad programs. But the problem is they do not have the caliber of athlete top to bottom on that roster to just throw their helmet out on the field and bail themselves out in games like these. And they should. They should, you never say that out loud. No coach would ever even think that way, much less say it out loud. But if you're at, for instance, Ohio State, and you played Illinois yesterday, you could play your C-minus game, your helmet would bail you out in the end. Oklahoma had this happen yesterday. Their helmet bailed them out against Kansas in the end. Penn State's helmet didn't bail them out because they don't have that caliber of athlete. They've got good athletes. I'm not saying they don't. You need to understand the context here. I'm not talking about them as some woebegone program that finishes in the 70s in recruiting every year, but they don't finish top five either perennially. They don't finish top six, seven normally, and that is the difference. You've got to show up, even against the Illinois of the world, the Illinois of the world. You've got to show up, and you've got to bring at least your B+, even at home as it turns out, or else you can get beat. I can't stress this enough. Illinois is a bad football team. Illinois didn't have 40 yards passing yesterday, and they still won this thing. When I tell you what I'm about to tell you, you tell me who should be on which side of this. If I were to tell you 
One team in this matchup won't even need to throw the ball to win. Who should that be? That should be Penn State, 10 times out of 10. And yet it wasn't. It was Illinois. Penn State tried to run it 29 times yesterday. They put 62 yards on the board. They couldn't run it. And that's not a yesterday problem. That's been an all-season problem. It just cropped up again, so nothing changed in the bye week. Illinois ran it 67 times in a football game, not the whole season. Just yesterday, they ran it 67 times for 357 yards. I know that sounds bad. That's actually not terrible for the Penn State defense, given that they ran it nearly 70 times. But I'm not sure where they go from here. I, I had some of you ask me that today. Where does Penn State go from here? Normally, that's a lazy question. Because that's the go-to for anyone who's trying to write a post-game recap and they don't have any creative ideas. That's where they always go. Well, where does so-and-so go from here? I think it's kind of valid in this particular instance because now Penn State's, what, 2-2 two and two in conference? They still have to play at Ohio State this week. They're well over a two-touchdown underdog in that one. For some of you, they can't put a number out high enough for you not to bet Ohio State. But also, little newsflash. Penn State still got to play Michigan. Penn State still got to go to Michigan State. So I don't know is my answer as to where they go. So again, congratulations to Brett Bielema. I mean, he trashed his offensive line this week and they ended up paving the way for 357 yards on the ground. But this was very, very surprising to me. They got Sean Clifford back. and He obviously was not remotely close to himself. And even, you know, with him playing at the level he played, which he lied to you in postgame, which he's supposed to do. He lied to you postgame and said it didn't affect him. Well, of course it did. So he competitively fibbed to you, and there's no other way to approach that. You don't say, I was hurt, guys. If I wasn't hurt, we would have won. No, that's a, that's, a, that's a different set of problems if you got your quarterback talking like that. But if Sean Clifford's 100%, I think we all understand this game turns out differently. But the problem is that's really all it took. That's all it takes to bring Penn State down to a level where they cannot out-athlete Illinois. And that's a problem, and it's got to get addressed. Several other takeaways from yesterday. Whew, I don't even, you know, I could spin the wheel. I've got one, two, I got about five games I need to go over here right quick. I could spin the wheel and I could start with any one of them. But let's just rapidly react to a few games from week eight here. Ohio State, I mean, just made fools of several people, myself included. They beat Indiana 54 to seven. Sometimes you have an angle. Let me tell you how I felt about this game. The model leaned Indiana. And then I agreed with the model because what I thought was, I thought Indiana was a little bit underrepresented statistically because of poor turnover luck. And maybe I thought it could just shift. But I also thought to myself, maybe we've seen it happen before. Maybe Ohio State got fat on some inferior competition and then they're going up against a team that looks a little bit worse than they are because of turnover luck. Maybe it's just a little bit closer than 21. No, no. So grab those earmuffs that you had for the kids and I want you to put them back on because this was how Ohio State started the game. Touchdown, 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 touchdown. Then charitably they decided to punt. Then they scored another touchdown. Then they put a field goal on there for good measure and then they punted to end the game. They had 31 first downs on 69 total plays. I think they only got to third down like nine times. I want to say there were six of nine. I don't know how that happens. I got, let me, let me tell you how weird I am. I can remember all my middle school locker combinations. I just off the top of my head recalled the Ohio State box score. I do not have it in front of me. But some critical things, like my credit card number, can't remember it to save my life. 
and 8-12-0, by the way. Those were my middle school locker combinations. So Ohio State is rolling. The folks that cover that program, I was looking at Dave Biddle earlier today, and I don't have any reason to disagree with him when he says this. It is the most impressive offense they've ever seen there. If you guys want to talk Heisman, you need to be talking about the signal caller up there at Ohio State because C.J. Stroud's playing phenomenal right now. Now they're going to get into a little stretch where I guess you would call it the meat of their schedule. You're looking at their schedule here. They've got Penn State this week. Again, they're well over a two-touchdown favorite there. They go to Nebraska. they got Purdue, Michigan State at Michigan. It's not an easy stretch, but it is also tough to make an argument for any of those teams beating this, this squad right now. How about Iowa State? We had a good game yesterday. If you'll notice the vernacular I've been using, it sounded a lot like this. They have struggled as of late, but we looked a lot better yesterday. You've got to be very liberal in your use of they and we. I'm just joking. It's we, ride or die here. But uh, Iowa State got it done 27 to 24. Oklahoma State falls from the ranks of the unbeaten. Not the biggest shock in the world. Even those of you who were trying to kid yourselves into thinking that that was a playoff contender, the way that you know you were trying to kid yourself is because you didn't even, you didn't even get that shocked when they got beat yesterday. It's kind of like the Coastal Carolina crowd. Good for Coastal Carolina. They got beat in the middle of the week last week, and you didn't even bat an eye at it. So those of you who were trying to prop these brands up because you think record means everything and you are what your record says you are, you don't even believe that. If you did, you would have treated this game the same as when A&M beat Alabama. That's how you're supposed to act when a real playoff contender goes down. You didn't even care about this. Now, when that same team lost to this same team in 2011, as I was in a movie theater that night on a Thursday, when Iowa State beat Oklahoma State that year, that is how you know you thought Oklahoma State was a real playoff contender because that sent shockwaves throughout the entire sport. Let me ask you this. As I'm looking for padlock stats, I would ask myself, and, and if I were to approach you Friday and I would have said, hey, is this a padlock stat? Iowa State, in this game where they're favored by seven against an undefeated Oklahoma State, if I tell you Iowa State is only going to have 67 yards rushing and no one's going to turn the ball over, so Iowa State, 67 yards rushing. Is that a padlock stat for Oklahoma State? As it turns out, no, it was not. And the reason it was not is because Brock Purdy showed up, quarterback there for the Cyclones, 27 of 33, 307 through the air, two touchdowns. I don't use the phrase or the term Brocktober because I didn't come up with it. But happy Brocktober to Brock Purdy and company yesterday. Now, they got two losses. Uh, they have both been... Games they, um, statistically at least, should have won. I don't really use that terminology because if you should have, you would have. But statistically, the post-game win expectancy would indicate Iowa State should have beaten Iowa, should have beaten Baylor. Well, they didn't. So now they're a two-loss team. Well, what are they going to accomplish the rest of the way? Because they got this win. They got a win against Kansas State last week. They're playing easily the best football they've played all year. It's a long football season. So you've had time to believe in them, write them off, and now come back to the bandwagon because they've still got some very consequential games. They're still going to play Texas in a little while. Of course, they've got a trip to Oklahoma, second to last week of the regular season, by the way. They go to Norman. So it's possible that this team still plays for a Big 12 championship. It's possible they can still win the Big 12 championship. You never know. You know, I, I like to mention JP from Angels in the Outfield at least once a show. It could happen. It could happen. Pitt beat Clemson yesterday, 27 to 17. Some of you were scared of Clemson last week, 
and it's the very definition of a paper tiger, pun intended. I don't know why you were scared. What was it you thought was in the Clemson arsenal that they had capable of breaking out on you that thus far had not been broken out? What did you think was there? This team doesn't have claws. It's been declawed. They're not going to grow them back before the end of the year. Two incredible stats that I want to read you, and neither one of them came from my mind. College Football Talk Daily, CFB Talk Daily on Twitter, put this out earlier today. This is DJ Uyangale, formerly top-ranked quarterback in the country, yada, yada, yada. He's got a 54.8 completion percentage right now. He got benched during part of this game yesterday. He's got a little over 1,100 passing yards. That's good for 92nd in the country. He has got four touchdowns. That's 115th in the country. And then there's this little tidbit from Matt Zenitz. There are two Power 5 teams right now that have yet to score 20 points or more against FBS competition. Just two of them in all of Power 5. One of them's Arizona, and the other one's Clemson. What planet are we living on right now? Let me read that again. Some of you may have been partially tuned out. There are two Power 5 teams that have yet to score 20 points versus FBS opponents. One of them's Arizona, sucking water through a garden hose right now, and the other is the Clemson Tigers. Yeah, those Clemson Tigers. Dabo said all the right or wrong things, depending on your perspective in the post game. You know, he, he dropped the old line, if I start taking suggestions from the crowd, then I'll end up sitting with the crowd, paraphrasing, but that's basically what he said. Uh, and I normally agree with that, but look, I think it's obvious whether he admits it or not. Yeah, you're gonna have to take a long, hard look at this program they may still have more losses coming. This may not even be done. I mean, I saw someone for the first time yesterday ask out loud, could South Carolina beat Clemson? And South Carolina got rolled by A&M yesterday, just to give you an idea of what the talk in the Palmetto State is right now. How about Notre Dame? They came through a sports yesterday big time, 31 to 16, Irish over Trojans. This was the best their offensive lines played all year. I was able to actually watch this one earlier today. And because of that offensive line improving, what do you know? Magically, run game has showed up. I think they had 41 carries yesterday for 170. Now, that's not all world, but it's much better than what they had. They ran it for about 4.1 per pop, and they had some more tempo. It felt like they had more purpose is the way that I looked at it. Offensively, they had a really good plan. They used Jack Cohn at quarterback, I think the best that they've used him all year. They didn't just, you know, um, kind of take a dice and, 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 and shake it up in their hand and open it up. Okay. Tyler Buckner, you're in this series. Oh, wait, 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 no, Jack Cohen, you're in. It felt like there was a lot more purpose behind the offensive game plan. They were coming out of a bye, so it stands to reason. They should have had their, um, they should have had their affairs in order there and had a little bit better plan, and they did, and they played well. Now, the same question I asked for Iowa State exists for Notre Dame. What are they capable of? This is a one-loss team. Remember, they had all those close wins earlier in the year, and I told you, don't discount those close wins because you keep assuming, well, they won this one really close. Oh, they'll lose multiple games. But what if they don't? Because down the road, you don't remember how close the wins were. You just remember that they're wins. So here's Notre Dame. And they got one loss, and they just beat Southern Cal. They will be favored the rest of the way. A lot of games that looked like they were going to be marquee are not. For instance, this week, they play North Carolina. I thought we would be in South Bend for that game at the beginning of the year. And that's not even on our radar. Which goes to show you, you should plan your future in pencil, both travel-wise and just life-wise. Plan it in pencil. 
So good on Notre Dame. Now they get to be in the same position that they find themselves very frequently, which is hanging around a crowd that you don't think they need to be hanging around, the playoff crowd. And then they get to make you mad because depending on what happens with the other contenders, they get to kind of, hello, hello one loss over here, hello. And if you guys answer the door, I know how you deal with them. Lastly, we got to give some credit to the Oregon Ducks. They were up 34-17, ended up holding on to win 34-31 against UCLA. I thought UCLA would win this game. Thought they had advantages in a couple of different areas, so let's talk about that right quick. Because the line of scrimmage was the real area where you had to wonder, is Oregon going to hold up? Talked about that multiple times last week. Well, they did. UCLA had 110 yards rushing, but only 2.4 per carry. That is a really good number, and quite frankly, that's not a number that I thought Oregon was going to be able to hold them to. UCLA ran 91 plays in this game and did not eclipse 360 yards. And that you don't see very often. Normally, if you're not able to eclipse more yardage, you're not on the field for enough series and extending enough drives to run 91 plays. And if you run 91 plays, you normally got like 500 yards of offense. So that's number one. Yes, yes, Oregon was able to win enough of those line of scrimmage battles. But number two, Anthony Brown, most recently, you heard him being booed at home against Cal. Well, he went on the road, and he is not going to play at a Heisman level. But judging based on the curve of what we've seen at quarterback so far this year for Oregon, he played well enough. He had 236 through the air. He ran for another 85 yards. Travis Dye had one of the weirdest stat lines I've ever seen yesterday. He had like 36 yards rushing and four touchdowns. Scored, I think, on four consecutive plays at one point, which is sort of Xbox-ish. But Oregon, same deal. They're off the radar, but they've only got one loss. And now you start to ask, especially because they've got a win at Ohio State on their resume or resume. I wonder what they're capable of. They've still got losable games. Like a lot of these teams down the stretch are going to play losable games. But there's an assumption out there right now in the old college football ether that the SEC will have at least one, if not two, in the playoff. And Ohio State will be there. And then maybe a second Big Ten will be there. But if not them, it'll be Oklahoma. If not them, it'll be Cincinnati. That's great. And those of you who may not have observed the first half of this season and learned better can go on assuming that. I don't assume that. So I think there may be some doors open for some teams that you don't expect to have access. I don't know if Oregon's going to be that team, nor if they will even qualify because you see the games they still have to play here. I mean, they still got some, some tricky tests ahead. But let's just not dismiss them, is what I'm saying. Don't dismiss Notre Dame. Don't dismiss Oregon. Uh, because I don't think that they need to be dismissed yet. Like, I think they're still in the conversation. They're just on the very, very fringe of it. One more game that I wanted to talk about, but it's not so much the game as it is the circumstances surrounding the game. I don't know what's happening at Miami right now. It's gotten really uncomfortable down there. Now, the Canes won yesterday over NC State, 31-30. to Strange times, though, in Coral Gables. Those of you close to Miami, you followed this drama the past week, but those of you who may be in Topeka, Kansas, I doubt that you've been following this. Blake James is the athletic director there, and he's been under fire for many reasons, both amongst the fan base and now the media locally and regionally. He did a little very, very selective, might I add, a little media tour kind of unscheduled, just, just decided to go talk to some folks. And this is called CYA, for those of you in the real world. He had a CYA tour last week. You can figure out the acronym for those of you unfamiliar. 
and he essentially tried to distance himself from Manny Diaz. He also did not promise anything beyond 2021. And here's what it was. What it was was essentially the Remember the Titans team. Lose, lose a game and they'll fire you. But he didn't say that. But it was left to be understood by pretty much everyone, including myself, that if Manny Diaz lost yesterday, as ridiculous as this is to let it come down to one game, if he lost yesterday, he was probably going to be out. Okay, well, they won by one point. Is Manny Diaz really a different coach? Answer is no. But when you have someone who may not be the most equipped to be making these kinds of decisions, it can come down to that. Uh, do you know what the difference in a football game sometimes is? Sometimes it's six inches to the left and right of an upright. Uh, a field goal kick when you're down two at the, end of, at the end of the clock. If it's six inches this way, six inches that way, it, it makes no difference in what kind of coach you are. But there are some decision makers out there that based on that 12-inch difference would decide whether you're good enough to lead their program or not. So apparently that's where we are at Miami. My whole take on that is what's my, I'm going to ask you guys at Miami because I'm, I'm as interested to get your responses here as anyone. What do you think Miami's really ready to do here? Because I, I look at Miami, and I've felt this way for a couple of years now. I have felt this massive detachment between their history, which is the reason most of us know about them, and the current administrative culture there. To me, the administrative culture uh, is not in lockstep whatsoever with the fan base and the tradition and the history. Those are two totally different mentalities. Those of you who have been around for a while, or maybe you've just watched the documentaries and you're younger and you hunger and thirst for the days when that you meant what it used to mean, I don't think you guys think the same way at all as the administrative types down there. Well, where rubber meets the road here is when I hear an athletic director like Blake James talk like he was talking, you could tell me all day. He could have even come out and, and just straight up said, if Manny Diaz doesn't win today, he's fired. I don't care. I don't really, the, the, the team played hard for him yesterday, so they haven't bailed on him. Has the performance been good enough? No. Has recruiting been good enough? To me, no. But if you get rid of him, what comes after that? Because everybody's idea down there was the same. And everybody nationally, if Manny Diaz, if you had a headline, as soon as I went off air tonight, Manny Diaz fired at Miami, everyone's idea is the same. It's Mario Cristobal. That's who everyone wants to go after. Why is he leaving Oregon for Miami? And I say that knowing he played there. I say that knowing his entire family lives in South Florida. Even with those advantages, I'm asking you, why would Mario Cristobal leave Oregon for Miami? Because my assumption is the program, the university, the decision makers there, I don't think have it in them to put a strong enough offer in front of Mario Cristobal to entice him. And that's independent of whether he'd even entertain it anyway. I'm saying even if Mario Cristobal was open to it, I don't get the sense that they're ready to make it worth his while. The fan base would be, obviously. You know, if you were to get... I know they honored the 01 title team yesterday. If you had them in the decision-making room, you know, it's a different story. Well, they're not in there. Guys like Blake James are in there. You know, and it's, he's not the only one. Let me be clear. But those folks, when you start talking about the kind of salary you have to pay and then the kind of staff that you have to dedicate and the resources that you have to allocate, when you start talking about all that stuff, I'm telling you, you as a fan, you know, they're in St. Petersburg, you may say, yeah, okay, let's do it. They don't. They don't. You know, if you're Ed Reed from that team uh, back, back in the day and, and you hear that, you say, yeah, uh, of course, that's what the big boys do. 
The administrative types don't feel that way. At least that's the feel that I get. Now look, I'd be happy to be wrong there. A good Miami is good for college football. I firmly believe that. And you know my philosophy on recruiting in South Florida and how Miami or Florida State or Florida or a combination of the three locking down a little bit more of the in-state talent would go a long way and evening out the balance of power in the sport. But it's not happening right now. And maybe it won't happen under Manny Diaz. I'm just asking in lieu of him, who are you bringing in there? I'm not asking the fan base. I'm asking the fan base, who do you think your administration is capable of bringing in there that could make a difference? To that, my answer is I don't know. I'll cross my fingers and hope for the best. All right, let's wrap it up here with best bets. Uh, good day yesterday, back above 500, so onward and upward. Uh, the Ramen Noodle Express is headed to Lee County, Alabama. None of you know where that is. That's where Auburn is. They are off a bye. They are playing Ole Miss at home. This is the biggest game in the SEC this week. It opened at pick. That's where we got it right now. The first best bet of the week is the Auburn Tigers pick at home, rested, while Ole Miss has played, remember this, consecutively. They've played, how far back do I want to go? I mean, they played Bama, and then they played at Tennessee, and yesterday they played LSU, and now they're going to Auburn. They've had no buy-in here, and... Auburn's rested, and Auburn was playing their best football before the bye week, and so I, I love Auburn here. Our model loves Auburn here, so we're going to take Auburn as the first best bet of the week. Also wanted to quickly point out, I didn't have time to talk Michigan over Northwestern. Good on Michigan. That's a spot with Michigan State on deck that they easily could have been wobbly, and they really weren't. I know it was close early, but they pulled away. They did what they needed to do. The whole Cincinnati versus Navy thing. Cincinnati barely beat a very bad Navy team yesterday. To me, it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant because it doesn't change the future of Cincinnati. Cincinnati's in a position where if they go undefeated, whether their scores are by 50 or by 5, I think it's going to be irrelevant because here's what they have to have happen. they got to have one of these big boys lose. they got to have one of those doors open. If it opens, they'll get in. They'll get in because of circumstances I've already talked about. But if those doors don't open, no amount of impressive 50-point wins over the likes of Navy is going to make the difference. So as long as they keep winning at this point, they're in the unique position where I don't really think margin matters. Normally, the style points matter a lot for the G5 team. I don't think they matter here as long as they keep on winning. And like I said, Ole Miss, 31-17 over LSU. Now that sets up a showdown this Saturday at Auburn. It's going to be a really, really good week. Really good week. This is not the week, nor is it ever the week, to be headed to a wedding or a birthday party, which is even more inexcusable because there's no reason you can't have Friday birthday parties. I digress because I don't want to get in trouble again. But thank you so much. Make sure you are subscribed to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. We are dangerously close to 70,000. And they say if you make it to 70,000, you can make it anywhere. So get us to 70,000, the five-star reviews and subscriptions on the podcast also worth their weight in gold. And at Lake King Josh always on Twitter and Instagram. So it's going to be an exciting week headed to East Lansing at the end of it. And we'll be talking about that obviously a lot when we break down the games on Tuesday. Until then, for Director Colin, for our entire crew in Fort Lauderdale, I'm Josh Pate. Have yourselves a great start to your week. Thanks again for checking us out and God bless.